0: So what comes into your mind when I say the word Sabbath? Anything to jump in your mind? Old Testament. Old Testament. Okay. What else? Rest. Anything else? Black Sabbath? <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Thank yes. you, somebody. Uh, anything else? I think of sabbaticals. People are like, I'm taking a sabbatical from coaching, or I'm taking a sabbatical from my job, or something. Anything else comes into your mind when we say Sabbath? Sundays, yeah. A lot of people think Sabbath Sunday. So, um, growing up, my family didn't go to church. So we didn't know Christian words, like churchy words like Sabbath. Um, Those were just not words we used. You know, we didn't uh, sit around, and when my sister and I did bad things, like one time we drew on the screens on our windows, we were like, they're all black. We should take crayons and color them. And we colored all the screens in our house. Um, My parents did not say, you sinned. They were like, you're bad," and they punished us, but they didn't, they didn't say it because that's a church word. We didn't know church words, but my mom started attending church, and then my brother and sister, or my sister and I started attending. My brother was born later, and then my dad eventually started coming, and we were new to all these church words and church ideas and really the Christian bubble culture. And I remember one Sunday, my family asked another young couple in the church who had kids, like, do you want to go out to eat with us after church? And they said to us, they said, "But we don't need out on Sundays. You're not supposed to buy or sell on the Sabbath. And they kind of like did this judgmental look at us. And my mom and dad were like, I have no idea what you're saying right now or what that means, but Mm -hmm. okay. I mean, that was my first encounter with the word. Apparently, according to those people, Sabbath meant as a Christian, there were restrictions on what you could and couldn't do on Sunday. Um, and then as I got older, I read a little bit more of the Bible, and I realized Sabbath was sundown for Friday to sundown on Saturday. It was a special day for the Jews to celebrate everything that God had done. It wasn't about Sunday at all. The early church, in fact, started worshiping on Sunday, which they called the Lord's Day. Um, growing up, I just assumed Sabbath. Like you said, like Sabbath and the Sunday, that's the same thing, right? I was like, no, actually— For our Jewish friends, they're worshiping sundown on Friday the Saturday. That's the Sabbath. And we actually worship on Sunday, the Lord's Day, because that's the day he rose from the dead. And so as I got a little bit older, I was like, okay, Sabbath has no bearing on my life at all. It was old promise stuff. I'm a father of Jesus. I'm in the new promise. So Sabbath, I read that word, and I'm like, doesn't apply to me. Nothing to do with me. Ignore that. Move on. It's Old Testament. I'm a New Testament person. I'm just going to ignore it. Um, Then, as I read a little bit more of my Bible, and I got a little bit older, I realized that while I may not be commanded to hold the Sabbath laws given to the nation of Israel, I believe the principle of Sabbath runs throughout every element of our reality. It's just something that God has woven into the very fabric of creation. So over the next few minutes, I'm going to try to help you understand this concept and why I think embracing the principle of Sabbath We'll help you enjoy your life more and change how you think and feel about God. Well, I've set the standard, the expectation really, really high, so I'm probably not going to deliver, but let's see what happens. Over the last few weeks, we've been exploring Genesis 1 through 3, and we're finally moving into chapter 2. I know some of you are like, yes, we're finally making progress. Um, And this is the first time we see this concept of Sabbath the bible now this is a concept that will run throughout the old testament and well into the new testament it's a theme that is woven into the entire storyline of the bible let's read what it says in genesis 2 starting in verse 1. so the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed this is a summation of everything we got in chapter one on the seventh day god had completed his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done God blessed the seventh day. He declared it holy for on it, he rested from all his work of creation. Now, right off the bat, God did not rest because he was tired. He rested because he was done. He was finished. He completed it. There was nothing left to do. George Lucas, the creator of Star Wars, I was watching an interview with him one time, and uh, he said, you know, movies are never finished. They're just a band." Like, there's always more that can be done or more that can be updated. At some point, as a director, as a screenwriter, you have to just say, let's just give up on it. It's done. This is what we have to send out, but it's not really finished. Now, he believed that so much that he did something terrible to Star Wars. He kept making special editions and changing things. And I remember as a kid, I had the regular VHS tapes of Star Wars, and then he made a special edition, and I had to get that one. And uh, I remember watching it because I was like, this is, the true dream of George Lucas finally coming to life. And it was like this horrible CG job of the Hut, And it had all this extra added stuff that added nothing to the story and just made it seem more busy and more distracting. And uh, there was this scene at the end of Return of the Jedi, the last movie. And uh, in the original, you see the old Anakin Skywalker up there, and you're like, yes, he's come back to the good side. And then he's like, no, no, special edition. We're going uh, to change it to Hayden Christensen from the prequels because somehow he died when he was young and not when he was old, I don't know. Like it just makes no sense. And I remember thinking, he keeps selling me new versions of this movie. He should have left it when it was good instead of adding more and more. He should have known when to stop, right? Um, we knocked out one of our plaster walls in our new house and we're putting it in a closet. And I'm like, I can do this. I can paint some drywall. So I hung the drywall, and it really looked like a caveman had patched together pieces of drywall, and there was just spackle everywhere, and it's all lumpy and it's terrible shape. I was going to show you a picture, but then you guys would laugh at my feelings and be hurt, so I was like, I'm oh, not <laughs> Um And so Darby was like, "Honey, you did such a good job, but it's it, it could need some help." And I was like, "Okay." She's like, "I'm going to ask Matt because Matt he does some um, contracting, he's working." And Matt's like, oh yeah, I can knock this up. So he came over this week and he made it look so beautiful. Like, it's unbelievable. It's like the difference between a caveman carving out a stone wall and Michelangelo making the Sistine Chapel. It's really different. Um, but while Matt was working on it, he was putting on the spackle and uh, the drywall compound. And he told me, he goes, I never quite know when to stop. He's like, I could always put on a little bit more and then smooth it out. And then I'm like, make a little bit more and smooth it out. I never quite know when it's finished right i think a lot of us are like that with a lot of different things we're like is it done or could i do a little bit more and then sometimes we do too much and we're like oh, i should stop back then god knows when to stop he knows when it's done he knows when there's enough and so god didn't stop because he was like man i'm bored out he didn't stop because he was tired the world had everything it needed to be good to be beautiful and to expand that good and beauty throughout the planet so he stopped because he was done he was finished he knew it was the right stopping point so god finished it and now he could enjoy what he made it's a weird thing to think about sometimes because sometimes i get this idea of god is almost robotic and feelingless like he's just so far above feelings but we have to remember the god of the bible that we see in these pages is a god who weeps and laughs a god who feels emotion who delights and sings songs over us God rested so he could enjoy what he made. A few years ago, I took up pie making um, because I really love eating pies and people weren't making pies consistently enough as much as I wanted to eat them. Um, That's no shame on anyone. I just want to eat two to three pies a day and people (laughs) weren't providing that to me. So I was like, I'm gonna start making pies so I can eat pie whenever I want. And so when I roll out the dough and mix the ingredients and bake it and the alarm goes off, I know it's done. I slice it and I enjoy it. That's what God's doing here. It's like, it's finished. Now I get to enjoy what I made. The world was done and God was ready to enjoy it. Now you notice next that God blesses the seventh day. He declares it holy. That's just another way to say set apart or special. This is a special day. Think about Christmas. It's a special day. You gather with family. You get presents. You're off of work. We have special celebrations around it. That's what God did with the seventh day. Um, have you ever stopped to think about how every nation, cultural culture, people in the world uses a seven-day calendar? We speak a ton of different languages, but everybody's got a seven-day calendar. Everybody on the planet has a seven-day calendar. Isn't that weird? Like, um, there's something about a seven-day cycle that's woven into our reality Jewish and Christian faiths claim that this is because this is a rhythm that God himself put into creation. That creation naturally works on this seven-day cycle. During the French Revolution, they were trying to throw out anything that had come before, any idea about God. They wanted to be completely humanistic, and they said, you know what, we're going to do ten-day work weeks because people will be more productive. It'll help things, and we've kind of thrown out these ancient ideas about God. And what happened where people and animals were exhausted, productivity went down, anxiety and stress and suicide went up, and they were like, you know what, we're gonna leave God out of it, but let's go back to the seven day work week because that just seems to work. Uh, today, we you know neuroscience tells us that every seven days your body kind of needs an extra sleep. So if you feel tired on the weekend, you're like, why's it so hard to get up for church? Well, your body has a seven-day cycle where it needs some extra sleep. It needs some extra rest. That's built into your body. The reason that you and I love to sleep in on the weekend is not because we're lazy or, you know, we're not driven enough. It's because our body's designed to stop and rest every seven days. So when God established Israel after leaving slavery in Egypt, he told them to establish the Sabbath as a holy day of rest. And remember, this is being written to The Israelites who have just left 400 years of slavery. And so as they're reading this, God's just commanded them to set aside a day each week to Sabbath, to rest, to stop. And they're saying, oh, he did that. He built that into the world. In Exodus 31, 15, it says, work may be done for six days, but on the seventh day, there must be a Sabbath of complete rest. It's holy, it's special to the Lord. Anyone who does work on the Sabbath day must be put to death that's a pretty sobering uh verse right there right it's not like hey if you do some work on the sabbath you get a little slap on your hand there's a fine you know don't do it again god's like i'm dead serious about this and i think sometimes i think about this idea of stopping and resting like that's a good idea but it's not you know it's not critical to life If I need to keep powering through to get stuff done, that's fine. God says, if you don't rest once a week, you should die. That's what he told the Israelites. He's like, that's how serious I am about you stopping and resting. Stopping to remember that I can do more than you can. Stopping to remember that you don't keep the world spinning, I do. Stop and rest. If you don't, you don't even deserve to. Like, I understand, right, when like, sometimes it's like, okay, you murdered somebody, man, the Old Testament establishes, like, okay, like, there needs to be consequences for that. But to not rest, he's like, this isn't a little side, this isn't a suggestion from God. He's like, this is critical to you living. And if you're not going to do it, you really don't understand what life is about at all. Hmm. Um This verse, I mean, it's it's serious. He takes this very seriously. It was the death penalty for refusing to take a day off. God didn't say this because he was cruel. He said this because he was kind. There's always more work than you can do. There's always more work than I can do. There's always something I could be doing. He wants us to choose to stop. There's never enough time for rest. He wants us to make time. God mandated it with the harshest punishment possible so there wouldn't be an excuse not to stop and rest. So when you're like, man, I have so much to do. You're an ancient Israelite. You're like, I have so much to do. i got to get it done. And uh, you're like, man, I'll just work on this one Sabbath to get it done. Where well, you're like, well, I'm going to get killed. I think I'll rest. You know, like God wanted to make sure there was no wiggle room to get out of it. Now he also commanded the Israelites that every seven years they should have a year of rest. They should let fields um, actually renew themselves, they should plant in them. And then every seven times seven years, there was a special year of Sabbath called the year of Jubilee. In the year of Jubilee, all debts were forgiven. If you owed any money, gone. Just wiped clean. Um, Land that was purchased was restored to its original owner. If you were a slave, you were set free. Imagine for a minute living in that. Imagine living in a culture where every 50 years, every 49 years, um, all debts were forgiven. You had a mortgage payment, to loans forgiven. Mm-hmm. Like if you <laughs> like, yes, yeah, that sounds great, right? Land that was purchased, you're like, oh man, my family really got into debt. We had to sell our house, we had to sell this land, it comes back to you. You had to sell your car because you got it to buy and it comes back to you. You were captured as a prisoner of war and you were made a slave. Now you're free to return home. You were in a financial bind and now it's all been wiped clean. It's not on your record. You don't have to worry about it in the future. It's just been wiped clean. It was a year of extreme joy. That's why they called it jubilee. Constant shouting and singing of joy. Now, that idea, that concept, God wants to take that and have that in your week once a week. He wants you to take the day each week And celebrate all that is good in our lives see god didn't just make mankind to carry on his mission of creating order and beauty and spreading it throughout his world he made mankind to join him in enjoying the world that he made and then he stopped to enjoy and he wants to invite us to stop and enjoy it with him now this changes how i think about god he's not just a god who wants things from me he's a god who wants me to enjoy things with him he doesn't want me to do things for him he wants me to be with him see god wasn't making servants he was making heirs he was asking us to co-roll with him and yes there's work involved in that but there's also pleasure involved now when jesus came onto the scene the religious elites elite had twisted the sabbath into an unthinkable burden they said okay if god takes the sabbath so seriously that the death penalty is on the line. Then what we need to do is make all kinds of barriers and roles and caveats onto the Sabbath. And there were so many rules. People were so terrified to slip up and do something that they shouldn't. that the Sabbath became a day that people dreaded instead of a day that they looked forward to. In fact, they were so strict on things, they added so many commands to the Sabbath that they said if you plucked out a gray hair out of your beard or out of your hair Mm -hmm. on the Sabbath, that was um, harvesting. Like you were working out in your field, same thing, harvesting a hair. And so Mm -hmm. you should be punished for breaking the Sabbath. And so people were terrified to do anything. So on the Sabbath, you're just like. I'm not going to move. I'm not going to see anything. And this way, nobody's going to be mad at me. Like, nobody's going to threaten to kill me because I broke the Sabbath. Like humans tend to do, they took something that God meant to bring us joy, and they tacked onto it a bunch of man-made additions and turned it into a burden. You can do that today in church all the time. They got mad when Jesus healed on the Sabbath, and Jesus says this in Mark 2, 27-28. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Son of Man is a term that Jesus uses for himself. It comes from the book of Daniel about this promised coming one who's going to bring about the day of the Lord. We won't go into all that today, but it was Jesus' favorite term for himself because it drew them back to this promise of a coming Messiah in the And what he says is, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I'm Master of the Sabbath. And I didn't make humans for the Sabbath. I made the Sabbath for humans. Jesus saw the Sabbath as a gift to mankind, and he saw himself as the Master of the Sabbath. Or we might rephrase it like this Jesus saw himself as the King of Rest. Dallas Willard, a philosopher and thinker who I really like, he was once asked, like, how would you describe Jesus in one word? And he thought about it a long time. If You've ever listened to Dallas Willard teach or one of the recordings of him. He didn't have these long pauses. I talk really fast, and I'm like, I just want to say everything and get off this stage. Dallas Willard would like have these long pauses, and you're like, did he fall asleep? Did he die? Like, what's happening? He has this long pause and he goes, Relax. Is that how you think about Jesus? He was resting. He was now, if I want to live and love like Jesus, I have to think: Am I relaxed? Am I rescued? That's how Jesus. And most of the time, I'm not. I'm hurried. I'm anxious. I'm driven. I'm trying to get things done. Jesus lived a life that we could not live to die a death we deserve to die, so that we do not have to strive to earn God's favor. We can rest. We rest in the work that Jesus did for us on the cross, stretching out his hands to pull together to reunite heaven. Now, in the early church, there was a real issue because most of Jesus' disciples, early disciples, were Jewish. And now the message of Jesus had spread to Gentiles, to non-Jewish people. And there was this real tension, and we see this throughout the letters in the New Testament. Um, there was this constant debate. Do Gentiles becoming students of Jesus' way of life also have to become Jewish? Do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to obey kosher food laws? Do they have to observe the Sabbath? And we see all these letters from Paul in the New Testament deal with this tension between uh, the people who have roots in Judaism and those like himself who saw these roots as barriers to more people encountering Jesus. In Colossians 2, 16-17, Paul says this, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And so Paul made it really clear. Hey, you don't have to keep the Sabbath like Jewish people do if you're going to be a follower of Jesus. There was no command given to followers of Jesus to keep the Sabbath day. However, I think the principle of Sabbath lives on. Jesus, after all, said Sabbath was a gift for mankind. Mankind wasn't made for the Sabbath, but Sabbaths were made for mankind. And I think it's a gift that today we can choose to open and enjoy or ignore. Um, The word Sabbath in Hebrew is Shabbat, and it literally means stop. They don't have stop signs, they have Shabbat signs. Um, That's useful to me because I have to think about I'm going to talk a little bit about how I've tried in 2020 to introduce Sabbath rhythms into my life. Um, I'd like to mentally think about a stop sign that says Sabbath and like a stop sign. Stop. Stop thinking. Stop trying to do things. Just stop. It means to cease. Um, We live in the busiest, most hyper-connected time in human history and the toll on our minds and on our bodies is staggering. Anxiety and depression and suicide are at the highest rates in the history of the human species. And I think we could all benefit from embracing the ancient practice of Sabbath, of resting. And I think there's a spiritual discipline. Last year we talked about the spiritual disciplines that Jesus practiced. We talked about the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I think there's a spiritual discipline that Jesus practiced of practicing Sabbath. I think it's key to living in love and loving like he. Now, in 2020, I started taking some baby steps. I'm hoping to expand upon that in 2021 and practice even more Sabbath. Um, John Mark Comer, a pastor and writer in Portland, Oregon, he said that the Sabbath is really four things. It is stopping, resting, delighting, and worshiping. Sabbath is not a day off to mow your lawn or to catch up on errands, like, oh, I've got to catch up on this stuff, I gotta get this stuff done. It's a strategic choice. It's an intentional time you set aside to enjoy all that is good in your life and all that is good in the world. It is a spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical reset to remember that there is more to life than working and striving and trying to get. The time to step back and say, I've been given so much. Enjoy what you've been given. Enjoy what God has put good in your world. There's always something more to do. There's something always more to get. It's a moment each week to stop and reflect on all that you've been given. So this is what I try to do. And in 2020, I'll tell you right now, this did not work out perfectly every week. Some weeks I did really well, some weeks I did really poorly, but I'm trying to make a consistent rhythm. Um, around dinner time on Friday, I try to have a meal I enjoy um, with Darby, and then uh, if we can play a board game or something I enjoy, I turn off my phone I keep it off until Saturday afternoon. I don't take meetings or do any work during that time. I try to read and rest and spend time with my wife and our puppy. I try to eat food that won't make me feel gross when I eat sugar. I get really excited and frantic for about 15 minutes, And then I feel dead for, like, the next two days. Um, So I try not to eat sugar. I try to live in screens, disconnect from the world. I try to read and think and pray. Now, it doesn't matter what day you do it on. Paul made it really clear. We don't have to keep the Jewish Sabbath. Um, It just matters that you do anything. I think it will change how you see your world. And what I've seen in myself in 2020, as I've done it, it makes me appreciate what I have so much more and makes me less anxious about what I don't have. It actually made me enjoy life more by stopping. Always running, always moving, somehow makes me, like, have this low-grade anxiety at all times. And stopping, forcing myself to slow down to Shabbat, to cease, to stop. To imagine that stop sign in front of me and saying, okay, for the next, you know, 20 hours, I'm not going to think about this. I'm not going to focus on this. I'm going to think about all that's good, all that I have. Start where you are, not where you want to be. I think this is always a key principle in any of the teachings of Jesus, right? Start where you are, not where you want to be. I want to be at where it's always 24 hours every week and that doesn't always happen, but I'm working towards that. Let's look at the four categories that John Mark Coomer said makes up Sabbath. First is stopping, that means stop working, stop worrying, and stop wanting. It's not a time to catch up on projects, it's an act of faith. That God can do more in one day than you can in six, And so you're giving a day back to Him and you're saying, you know what, this doesn't all rely on me. There's enough work for me to do, dreaming and thinking and strategizing about this church, that I could spend every waking moment on it. And there's been certain times in the last five years where I've done that to the detriment of my own health and my, my relationship with my wife. But what I've found is God always does more when I trust Him. When it has an activate, faith, I set aside 24 hours and say, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to make it happen. It relies on you, not me. The best things you have, you didn't earn. And yes, given to you by a generous and gracious and good God. Stop worrying. Worrying never makes anything better, anyways. So a lot of times I'm worrying about something, and I'm like, okay, this is coming up to my Sabbath time. And I'm like, I'm not gonna worry about this who after Sabbath. That email doesn't have to be sent to after Sabbath. This doesn't have to be solved until after Sabbath. I can worry about it tomorrow. Now is my time to be grateful for what I have. Stop wanting. Get off social where you long for someone else's marriage or someone else's family or someone else's house. Get off to Amazon. I just shut down my Amazon account. I move it into another folder so I don't see it because I'll get on there and be like, oh, there's a new gadget coming out. There's a new game coming out. I want that. Sabbath is a time to celebrate what I have, not what I don't have. Enjoy what you have right now. Find ways to rest, take a nap, get outside, take a walk, slow down, read, reflect, think, write, journal. Too often, I miss the fingerprints of God because I was racing past his handiwork in my life at breakneck speeds. I want to sense God's presence, and if you want to sense God's presence, we have to slow down. So many people I encounter in our community say, I don't feel God, I don't sense God, where is God? Sometimes we're moving too fast to feel or see. Yeah. Um, it's funny, like sometimes I'll drive down a street for years, and then I'll walk down that street and I'll notice things I never did driving. Have you ever done that around here or in the city, maybe? Um, there's something about slowing down. You notice things you miss when you're moving. And I think so many times we miss what God is doing in us and around us. We're just moving to that. Take time to eat delicious, healthy food that's going to make you feel energized and connect with life-giving people. Plan some of your favorite activities and do them. If you love watching a movie, do it. If you love crafting or fishing or hiking or eating out, do it. The world is broken in so many ways, but it's also beautiful in so many ways. And it's so easy to focus on the broken pieces and not focus on the beauty and the adventure and the wonder that's all around us. Finally, worship. I think for most people, um, Saturday evening into Sunday afternoon is the best time to practice Sabbath because it naturally lines up with when we gather here and we gather with other people in community to announce that we believe death no longer has power over the students of Jesus because Jesus conquered death For me, Sunday is very busy, like I wake up thinking about what I'm going to say and come and set up things, and then after this, I get the service up online, so it's not a very good day of rest for me, so I try to do it from Friday night into Saturday afternoon. But I think for a lot of you, a good thing to try is say, my Saturday nights, I'm going to start to be intentional about I'm going to try to be intentional about how I rest, how I reflect, so that on Sunday, I enter into it already in this state of stopping and seeing and thinking about God. If you're willing, I'm going to suggest that you try it. At first, it'll feel like a lot of work because, you know, I know on Friday evening there's stuff I have to have done for Sunday or I won't get it in because now I'm setting aside this time to rest. And so I'll have to work harder during the week sometimes so that I can set aside this time. I try to have my sermon done and the slides done and things ready to go but it is worth it. It's become my favorite part of the week, and i found that it's slowly beginning to change me from an anxious person into a thankful person, and a person who's like, I have so much good in my life because I'm forcing myself to slow down, stop, and notice it. We live in a world that values drive over rest, accomplishment over well-being. As a result, we often achieve at the cost of our soul. Our culture, I think, is just now beginning to realize the mental health cost of this pressure, and this isn't the behavior that Jesus practiced. Sabbath changes our perspective from what we need to do and shifts it to what he has done. Sabbath isn't a command. This isn't something where it's like, hey, you need to do this, you have to do this, but I think it's an invitation. I think, like Jesus said, Sabbath is a gift. Plus, it's is, we open it and enjoy His prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you so much. But when you established the world, you didn't say, "You know what? I'm going to make creatures who just work all the time." You made creatures who have the capacity to enjoy things with you. Thank you for making us co-heirs with Jesus. I think so often we forget that. Where you've given us such a great responsibility, and yet honor. To enjoy things. You Forgive me for so often racing and thinking and running from the next thing that, that I don't stop to consider all the good and be thankful for all that I have, all that you've done.